Man, look what happens when we got kids screaming and yelling and singing and dancing. Man, y'all look and sound good today, church. Praise the Lord for all the activity this last week. And I know some of you, some of you good Baptists are still a little unsure, like I'm not really sure what to do. I'm just going to play along and hopefully the stage is back to normal next week. Well, guys, I want to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to John 14 this morning. As you heard the kids so confidently and clearly state earlier, words of life from John chapter 14, verse 6. That was the verse we looked at this last week. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, said, For I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And we're going to look at these six verses, and we're going to see what God has to teach us, and we're going to go continue to enjoy the presence and glory of God in our lives with food trucks and water and fun and fellowship. I want to read these six verses, and we'll see what God wants to tell us. This is what the Word of God says. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, uh, actually, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As you can tell, we had a lot of fun this last week. Part of our VBS uh, gathering from 9 to 12 every, every morning from Monday through Thursday. It included some type of daily competition. And if you um, know anything about me, I love competition. We're wired for that way. And part of our gathering every morning at VBS began with four contestants up here with a daily competition. I had the privilege of being one of those contestants. And it was a little different spin on the competition we had on a daily basis. Instead of crowning one winner every day we would recognize three winners, and then we would elevate one loser who we had the pleasure of humiliating, and we had the pleasure of emphasizing some type of penalty where the kids so enthusiastically said, face the consequence. You kids act like you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Man, you girls especially were out for blood. And it was glorious. After day one of competition, our worship pastor had to wear oven mitts for the next 24 hours. And he struggled typing emails and strumming his guitar and playing the piano the rest of the day. Day two, our children's intern, she had to be a baby for 24 hours because she lost the game. On her person for 24 hours was an oversized pacifier, and she wore... On the outside, I guess she could have done it on the inside, but she wore on the outside an adult-sized diaper. I don't know why she didn't return next summer. Day three, and just, you're you're sitting down. This might be hard to believe, but day three, yours truly lost the competition. Simmer, simmer. But I, I tell you what, I like to think if, if there's one competition to lose, it was that day, 24 hours wearing 40 pounds worth of wrist and ankle weights. I'll tell you what, had some good conversations about Jesus that day. Also, so many of you kept up coming on up and saying, Pastor, 
man, isn't that heavy? Isn't that pretty difficult to carry? And, you know, humbly, I replied and just said, you know what? It probably is pretty difficult for some people. (laughs) I've been waiting all week to say that, church. (laughs) And day four was great because our volunteer, so days one through three, People on payroll were punished with a consequence. But day four, our beloved volunteer VBS director, she was the loser. Yeah! (laughs) And she sported a full-size foot of a costume with nasty, gritty toenails, um, athlete's foot, I'm sure, and it had hairs on the toes. It was glorious. So as you can imagine, going through these competitions— As contestants, we did everything we could not to lose these games. We did everything in our own strength to keep from experiencing the rejection of the penalty of facing the consequence. I'll tell you what, there's something else unfolding, a a bigger picture, a, a, a larger narrative. That no matter how strong I may have been, no matter how poorly or or well I, I executed things. There was something unfolding larger than the day-to-day that I was going to fall short no matter what. See, throughout the entire week of VBS, we did this missions competition between the boys and the girls. And we were raising funds to, to collect money to purchase backpacks for less fortunate children in our community. And the loser of that competition had to consume a blended Happy Meal. I'm still having a little PTSD up here just thinking about that. I will tell you this, guys. God was so kind. You boys and girls, we raised enough money. We are donating 100 backpacks to children for this school year. So just praise the Lord for that. But no matter how strong, no matter how strategic I was in the day-to-day competition, it did not matter. I was doomed to fall short, and the boys lost that competition. And I remember standing up here with my pastoral friends on staff, and we, we tried to take a swig of that blended Happy Meal, and it was going down our throats. And it went down our throats a little bit, but there became an inevitable problem where the proportion of liquid to solids was not sufficient, and no matter how strong of a gulp we attempted, yeah, yeah. (laughs) For as much as I love the competition that went on, something I loved most, and the reason I'm making such emphasis about this is that every day we had these competitions, but every single day these games were geared toward the truth of God's Word, and that's what it's all about. Just like that song we just sang, God's love is running toward us, And because we've experienced this gracious and merciful love of God, we can't help but then run after the lost world around us in whatever way possible that surely by by the grace of God, they would experience and encounter life-saving faith in Jesus as well. What I loved on day one, we learned about creation. God is holy creator of all things. So we stack cups as contestants trying to create the tallest stack of cups only to be reminded that there's none like God the one true holy creator of all things. And then day two, we practiced human-sized, hungry, hungry hippo. And that was my favorite because I got to get one of my kids up here and just sling him across the stage on a little scooter. And they separated different color balls based on our teams, being reminded that our condition of sin is a problem that we 
can't offer a solution for. It's a, a problem that causes all the brokenness and fractured relationships and heartache we know in this world because we are separated from the community God designed us to have with him as maker and with one another. Day three, we played this game of life-size connect four, being reminded that although God is holy as creator and we're in our sinful condition, he loves us so deeply and relentlessly that he provided the solution in Jesus the Son of God, to come to this earth and live a perfect life, die a sinner's death that every one of us deserved, and he raised back to life on the third day, that we, should we choose to profess faith on Jesus as Savior, can return to be at home with our Creator, to return and have a connection with Him as Father. And then day four was, I mean, it was just the, the best of all things. It was this mega relay where we talked about the action that we're called to live. Not because our salvation depends on action, but because the love of Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, compels us, controls us, because so much has been lavished on us, we can't help but then be active in our pursuit of the Lord for his glory and presence in our lives. We had this mega relay where we had these tables out here, and it began by pulling Kleenexes out of a box, and then it went on to a, a, a dude-perfect bottle flip style, and then it, and it continued, and we had to roll a dice in the church building and land on the number three. And then to, to finish it off, we had to, no hands, dip our head into a Cool Whip Oreo pie, retrieve worms, and consume these worms. I remember, I, I don't remember it happening, but like this out-of-body experience, I was blowing Cool Whip out of my nose onto the masses of children out here. It was glorious, like I said. Did I say that? It was epic. And we learned how God is holy creator. All the brokenness we experience unfolding around us in our own lives is because of our sin. But God in his love provided solution in Jesus, living, dying, raising from the dead. And should you profess faith on him as Savior and Lord of your life, you can truly live a life of fullness here and for all eternity. And we come to John 14, and this is what the disciples knew. At this point, they had been following Jesus for three years, and they were all in. They left everything behind because they knew Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And they were all in, fully vested. For just a moment as we walk through this, I want you to think back three years prior to John 14. 1. Three years prior to the life of these men, the original disciples, before they encountered Jesus. You had Andrew and Peter. They were siblings carrying on the family business of the fishing industry. They were successful. They were rough around the edges. They were salty sailors of the, the Sea of Galilee there, but they were successful in the eyes of the world. They were a success and all was well. I want you to think about Matthew, the tax collector. He didn't have many friends within his own circle of family, but his financial security was lucrative. He was able to collect taxes and, and create however large of a profit margin he wanted as long as he met the minimum requirements of, of taking back the, the minimum tax um, amount back to the Roman government. From the outside looking in to the bank account of Matthew the tax collector, all was well. Or maybe James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
They were from a very financially um, well-off family to the day where you can go to Capernaum, Israel today, you find a synagogue dating to Jesus' time, and there's a, a stone of dedication because a Zebedee family contributed so much to the construction of that building. These men, for the most part within these original followers of Jesus, from the outside looking in, it seemed like all was well. But one day they encountered Jesus, and he gave them a completely new view on this world. They realized that everything they'd known wasn't what it was cracked up to be. They realized that this world, though it seemed like it was fulfilling and worth pursuits, they became disenchanted in what the world offered, knowing what Jesus truly provided. They heard his teachings. They saw his miracles. They got a taste of the goodness of God. And the world that they found fulfilling for the first time now became bland and disenchanted. And they came to know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And here they are in John 14. They looked at the world around them, broken, crumbling because of sin, but there was Jesus, the solution. So they said, I'm following you. I'm placing it all on you. And for three years, they did that. But here in chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. There's something unfolding now that's kind of shaken them, where they're now needed to be reminded that Jesus still is the way. He still is the truth. He still is the only secure path for life. So don't let your hearts be troubled. See, what's happening now is that these men, they've been following Jesus for three years. They've been giving it all toward him. But now Jesus, in two days, will go to Calvary, will be crucified on a cross. And he's preparing his followers, saying, guys, I've been with you, but now I'm about to go away. I'm about to be physically executed, and I'm going to leave you physically. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Another understanding of that next phrase, believe in God, believe also in me, he's basically saying, you have believed in God the Father. You've never seen him physically, but you've believed in him. The same can be true for me. When I physically leave you for a season, just as you've been confident in God the Father who you've never physically seen, you can just the same be confident in me, though I'm no longer physically here. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. He's reminding them that just like it was three years prior when you left everything of the brokenness of this world because you believed in me providing a way back to your maker, the same is true still today. And he says, I'm going to prepare this place for you, I promised. I'm going to the cross to die a death that your sin deserves, that there may be a way for you to get back home to God the Father. I'm going to prepare it, and I will come again. I'll take you to myself. For where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. And don't you love the honesty and authenticity of Scripture? Thomas says, wait a minute, Jesus. You act like we know. You're saying we know, but maybe I missed it, but we don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to get there. For the last three years, we've been confident that you're going to take us back home to God the Father, but, but the fact that you're leaving now, we're going to be crucified it doesn't add up. How is this going to be possible? Look at what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say something new. He reminds them of a never-changing truth. 
He says, Thomas, the way I'm talking about, it's me. Thomas, the truth I'm talking about, it's me. Thomas, the life that I've offered you the last three years and you've seen validated and confirmed through signs and wonders and teaching, it's still and it's always me. No one comes to the Father except by me. So for the remaining time we have this morning, I just want to provide you a helpful reminder of what this really means. It's likely things you've heard before. But let the Spirit of God through Scripture remind you what it really means that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way. It's a definite article. It doesn't say, I am a way, Thomas. He says, let me remind you, I am the way. Because of the sin and brokenness in our world, because of our sinful nature, there is no other way of being reconciled back with our maker in community with him and one another as we were made for apart from Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the way. He says, I am the truth. He's saying, I am the only standard, I am the only measure of righteousness that matters. Because Jesus is the way, he's the only truth that we can have confidence in. And at first that might sound like something heavy, like, oh, wait a minute, that's just something else I got to live up to. No, the reality that Jesus is the only measure of righteousness that we can be confident in, it should be freeing for us. Think about it. I don't have to project or pretend that I am righteous. In fact, it's freeing that Jesus is the only measure of righteousness that matters. So then I can be open and vulnerable before you, even as your pastor, and just say, look, I am royally messed up. I struggle daily. At salvation, God delivered me from the the punishment of sin. He rescued me from that, but he's yet to release me from the complete power or the presence of sin. And I struggle with temptations just as you do. But it's not about me saying, hey, look at where I struggle. It's saying, hey, it's not about me providing some type of pretend measure of righteousness. saying, hey, look at the righteousness of my Savior. He is the way. He is the truth. I'm banking on him, and so should you. It should be freeing that Jesus is the truth. Because the flip side of that is absolutely exhausting. See, all week we had these daily competitions as Four contestants. And man, the stakes were high because the consequences were awful. So we did everything we could, day in, day out, within our own strength, trying to do as good as possible to avoid the rejection of failure, to avoid the consequence that was at hand. And day in and day out, it was all dependent upon our own strength, our own accomplishments. And when we're living self-righteous lives, when we're living trying to base our lives on our righteousness rather than the righteousness of Jesus, we pretend. We project. We try to give appearances that we're more and better put together than we truly are. Can I confess some things to you? And now you're really uncomfortable, aren't you? See, this last Thursday, that mega relay of a competition, I was not going to lose that one. I was not going to be a full-size, nasty, stanky costume of a foot for 24 hours. 
My elbows and fingers were still sore just a little bit from those weights I was carrying the day before. And since that competition was only based on my own strength and my own resource and my own ability, a duplicitous lifestyle was carried out. Our VBS director who lost, we stuffed her box with extra tissues. Our VBS director who lost that day, her bottle was filled with all the way to the top of the water. Mine was already to the most strategic two-thirds of the way empty, so I could just flip no look. I feel like we're having a moment, Angie. <laughs> Do not give her a microphone. And, and the next one, guys, the, the, role, the task was the roll of three. And so I made sure, and, we, and we've got some other people, accomplices. My wife went to task on her vinyl machine because it was my righteousness was at stake. And so you'll notice there's no three on this dice, but there's two fives. <laughs> And for however long it took her to realize that, I don't know if that reveals something else or not. We'll just talk about that later. <laughs> but because it all was based on my own righteousness and ability, I went into pretend, masking, projecting myself to be better than I truly was, even to the point where her Cool Whip Oreo stuffed pie had twice the amount of worms than every other contestant. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way to fixing this problem of your sin that leads to brokenness and confusion and chaos and dysfunction. But you've got to base it on me as the truth, the righteousness of Jesus and not our own. Because what happens when we try to do things that are good enough Start living as hypocrites and wanting the world to see us better than we truly are. I'm the chief of all sinners up here, church. The higher you elevate me on a pole, the more of my rump I'm going to expose. You want to send me something and let me know how messed up I am? I'll graciously reply and say, you don't know the half of it. I'm so much worse than you describe me to be. Praise the Lord that the condition of my heart is not based on my righteousness, but on my Savior, Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus provided the simple yet profound reminder to his disciples, I just want to offer that simple reminder to you this morning. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And when you take inventory of the world around you, and when you sincerely just consider how things unfold in this world around us, the brokenness, the mental illness, the mass shootings, the heartache, the dysfunctional families. This is not the way it was meant to be. Surely, God had something better in mind. And though this is the condition we currently live in, He wants you to be reminded that the way, the truth, and the life is still Jesus. And should you place your faith on him as Savior and Lord of your life, he will instantaneously rescue you from the punishment of sin so that when you leave this earth, you will not be condemned to hell for all eternity, separated from him. He will then have his Holy Spirit live inside of you 
so that he will grow you in a releasing direction from the power of sin in your life, a trajectory of sanctification while you continue to live this life on earth? And then one day, should you profess sincerely Jesus as Savior and Lord, one day he will bring you home and remove completely once for all the presence of sin. He's not taking us to some mansion in the sky right now. He's waiting for you to profess faith on him so that when God says, go get my church, Jesus is returning to this earth. He will eventually destroy this earth and create a new heavens and a new earth where we live no longer in sin or pain, but forever in paradise the way he intended from the very beginning. So the question I think the Word of God is asking you this morning, the question I'm submitting to you as we're going to go into a time of prayer and one more song of worship, is do you know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? What if here today, seeing the love and the enthusiasm of these children just encountering Jesus, what if today as we pray and we sing one more song, rather than squandering the opportunity that your holy creator has orchestrated for you to be here, what if today, if you've never publicly professed Jesus as Savior, what if during the song, you just come meet with me and say, hey, I want to know what that's about. And I want to follow him. I want to be all in because there's no other way. There's no other truth. There's no other path for life. I can think of no better decision you could make for this life or the next.